0: You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Beck Rivers Network. Man, this is going to be a fun finish to week 17. It was another wild Sunday of NFL football tonight. You get arguably the two best teams in the NFL, certainly two of the hottest teams. The Bengals hosting the Bills tonight. Cincinnati has won seven in a row. The Bills have won six in a row. The number one seed in the AFC is on the line. It's all coming down to these final two games for a lot of teams in the NFL, and it, it's going to be fun. The Bengals are a one-and-a-half-point underdog. I will take them at home getting a point-and-a-half. Give me the stripey helmet if only I still had it. Thanks for spending some time with me. I'm Dan McNeil, and this is the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. I do it twice a week, Mondays following NFL action. We like to get it ready for you no later than 10:30, 30, 11 o'clock, and then we do the same thing on Thursdays to uh, preview what usually is a Thursday night game. Um, not so much anymore, but uh, anywho, um Looking forward to going over all kinds of stuff that happened in the NFL with you this morning on the show. And uh, I'll get started on the Bears in just a little bit. Can you wait just one more minute or two before I get to the Bears and their 41-10 loss yesterday at, at at Ford Field, In everything that followed, oh, just an unraveling at the seams. And the era is is almost over, Bears fans. You almost have Ted Phillips out of your hair. After 24 years, I want to take a peek at his record as he gets ready to conclude the the losing a season in Bears history. The most losses, I should say, should the Vikings beat them, and I expect them to do that this coming weekend. No matter how bad the Vikings looked yesterday against Green Bay, I think they'll be able to punch out a grumpy as my buddy Yurko used to say when they beat the Bears um, this coming Sunday. But for those of you who are longtime fans of sports radio in Chicago, and this date means something to you, I want to address you for just a couple of moments. Today, um, whether you do or do not know, it doesn't really matter it's um, it's the 31st birthday of the score sports radio 670. Originally sports radio 820, and I was one of the founding fathers at Chicago's first full time sports talk station. Uh, we uh, we turned the light on at around a quarter to six on Jan two of ninety two. At that point. The A twenty frequency. We did not have full time operation. We were a daytime only radio station, a little bitty startup station owned by Diamond Broadcasting, which also owned WXRT, and we operated in the same building at forty nine forty nine West Belmont Avenue in a residential neighborhood on the northwest side, right by Foreman High School. Seth Mason and Dan Lee, the original proprietors, were looking at the score as a toy they had no idea what they were about to get into and that it was going to become a part of chicago's culture they they had no clue what was coming They were enthusiastic about the project, but they thought initially they were just going to do a jazz station when they acquired the 820 frequency. But Mike North, the original midday host, along with Dan Jiggets, convinced Danny Lee, the owner, to, to go sports. And he showed him advertising in the papers. And he says, look at all these ads here in the sports section for beer companies. They're selling Cadillacs. And look at the weekend section. Uh, on a Friday in the Tribune or the Sun-Times, and you'll notice you don't find as many ads. There are dollars to be made, and there are people who are sports-crazed in Chicago who would crave this product if you did it the right way. And that meant Mike had a spot because the score was smart enough to recognize the WFAN New York blueprint where Chris Russo, was a huge part of that station's success for many, many years. The everyman's man. That's what North was to the score. It was my privilege, and I had no business being put in this position at this age. I had just turned 30 years, 31 years old. Uh, Actually, just turned 30 before the station got its license late in the fall of 91 and then finally plugging it in, Chan 2 of 92, You don't really deserve to be hosting afternoons in a big market when you're 30 years old. You don't have enough life experience. And um, the power that I was, you know, granted went beyond that. I was involved in helping hire the production staff, making recommendations for on-air talent on the weekends. And I strongly recommended Terry Bores from the Chicago Sun-Times, who had done shows with me at the old AM loop when I was a fill-in host for Chet Kopic on the evening show Copic on Sports. Terry and I worked together on and off for almost the entire run I was there, three and a half years, and um, we hit it off, and our partnership in afternoons was a good one until the station busted it up in 1999. But what the score did when it came out of the gate was – was special, and I, I recall those first few years at the score with such tremendous fondness. And while I might have put more skins on the wall down the road at ESPN 1000 on the Mac Yurko, and Harry show when we took a radio station that was billing about $5 million a year and in three years it was billing twenty five mil a year or thereabouts, lots of really strong finishes in the ratings, Building something from the ground floor up and being involved in some of the decisions and seeing that station in its early struggles overcome some terrible handicaps, like only having a daytime frequency. It's quarter to five in the winter, and I'm saying goodnight. We're playing, you know, Frank Sinatra, my kind of town. Uh, in the final 60 seconds of broadcast time. See you tomorrow, everybody. A lot of drive time left back in an era when people drove to and from work. That was one of the handicaps. And the station, while it made some tremendous decisions early on, the selection of North, being willing to open up the purse strings for Mike Ditka in what wound up being his final year as Bears head coach in 92, terrible 5 and 11 season they 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 got him to do a weekly show they they took him away from the flagship wgn and that was unheard of so they uh they did some things right and they hired some good people but they also went on the cheap management was in the early era an asset in many ways, but also a detriment. We had to win despite some of the managerial decisions, and without going too geeky on you, I'll just share with you some some behind the curtain stuff. When you have a talk show, whether it's sports or otherwise, and you're going to engage listeners as as programming, you're going to put their phone calls on the air. It is essential. In the producer's studio, also known as the Boy Aquarium, thank you, Steve Dahl, back in the late 80s, it, you have to have a computer to communicate from that studio to the air studio where the hosts are. Joe is in Orland Park. He's on line one, wants to talk about the White Sox. Patio Steve is in Bolingbrook on line two. He wants to talk about why Ditka is doing this or that. Raphael from Berwyn is on line three. His thoughts are on why we talk too much Cubs when it's not even baseball season. We didn't have that computer. They didn't want to spend that kind of money. So do you know how my producer, Judd Surratt, or the midday show producer, Jesse Rogers, would get information to the host? He would write it on a marker on a damn note card. That's correct. I'm not making this up. A big red marker on a yellow note card to tell us who is on what line, having to just write down the line number one. There it is. And he would tape it to the glass that separates the two studios. I'm not lying. They didn't want to pop for the AP wire service. How are we going to get in our information? Well, I don't know if you necessarily need to subscribe to the AP wire. Do you? They didn't hire initially a full-time sports update guy sports news. Always has broken as the day is going along. You don't, there isn't a certain time in the day when you know, everybody who likes sports in America gathers to get the same information. When news breaks, it is essential in a news or talk operation, sports operation, too to have somebody capable of jumping on the air immediately and following the story. We have breaking news. The Blackhawks have just made a six player deal involving the blues and the Hartford whalers. Remember the whalers, Mike Leut out in the boot. We didn't have that. It took three or four months before they decided we got to have somebody do this. So they had veteran, um, News anchor, news sports anchor, George Offman, handled the uh, top and bottom of the hour with scoreboard updates. So they went on the cheap on a lot of ways. Uh, They took a lot of bows at anniversary parties in the years that followed, uh, and I caught a little bit on New Year's Eve, some of the rebroadcast of the 30th anniversary show the guys the station did uh, back in the summer out at, I believe it was real time, in Elk Grove Village, the score's home away from home was not invited to that show. Uh, Yes, it hurt, but I got over it a day or two later. There still are hard feelings over not just my firing in September of two years ago, but also some tweets I made about how the station handled the passing of Les Grobstein, the longtime overnight host. But anyway, for those of you who were there from day one, and you're with me today, largely because of that, or even if it wasn't day one, a lot of you like to say that, very proud of it, just like I am with my Rush lineage. Hey, I was on board well before people were listening to Invisible Airwaves crackling with life. Thank you so much for for wanting the product. There would be no reason to do it if it weren't for you, the listeners, and it was a glorious time in my life those first few years it was a struggle um but in many ways it felt to me because i was so disproportionately attached to my career arc I, it was it felt to me almost like bringing a child into the world and i i know that sounds really corny and hokey and uh it's the truth though i was in the parking lot across the street when tom share signed us on on the morning of january 2 i wanted to hear those first few words while sitting across the street in my car having a cup of coffee and uh listening to us um, launch this thing into the world because i had been there for four months in an organizational capacity to get us rolling and uh it was it was a great time in my life. I worked with some amazing people like Boars, like Surratt, Matt Fishman, John Suntris, Mike North, Dan Chiggets, Jesse Rogers, Tom Scher. It was it was a great time in my life. And the score has in many ways continued to be a huge part of Chicago culture, especially when it comes to the Bears. The Bears and the score have been synonymous since the score was born, 31 years ago today. And there have been a lot of different iterations of shows and things that worked and things that didn't over the years. I uh, I, I can't I can't say I ever had more fun in my life than those first few years. As challenging as it was. It was it was it was fun and it was rewarding and my my friendship with Terry Bores was very meaningful. So those of you who remember, those of you who were there back in the day, or even if you've only been a score listener for ten years, but the station has come to mean something to you, you can join with me and blow out thirty-one candles today as the score celebrates its Ferguson Jenkins birthday, birthday number thirty one. Bears and Lions yesterday at Ford Field. Well, my expectations for the Bears were met. I had a very low bar for Team McCaskey going into this thing, and they lived up to it. I wish I would have loaded up on Detroit instead of simply doing a, a, a one-unit play on the Lions, and then I had to ruin it by hooking them with something else going on uh, later in the day. It was very much what you have seen all year from Justin Fields' Really, it was. You You got your amazing, breathtaking rushes. Another plus 100-yard rushing day for fields. 10 carries, 132 yards with the long of 60. But what frustrates is the 21 pass attempts and only seven completed. Just 75 passing yards, and he was under siege all day because the Bears had all kinds of offensive line issues again, They couldn't protect him. Fields was sacked seven times. And in addition to the interception, he also lost a fumble. The only bright spot on the O-line this year has been Tevin Jenkins, and he has chronic back problems. Yesterday, he left with a neck injury. Michael Schofield comes on in relief, and then he got hurt. They have so much work to do on that that group up front, Jenkins and left tackle Braxton Jones, the rookie, are the only two I would look at and say, these are guys I feel really, really good about going into next year. Jones was not outstanding, but how many first-year left tackles are? Anthony Munoz, he was a right tackle, actually, Mac. Jimbo Covert with the Bears in 1983 looked like he belonged as a first-year player, and that's why they drafted him in the first round. Now, the Lions draft offensive linemen in the first round. Not all of them healthy right now, but they got three number one picks on that O-line, and they protected Goff yesterday pretty well. The Bears had him, got him twice. My goodness, a defensive lineman with a sack for the Bears. Say it isn't so. It happened in the third quarter of yesterday's game when Travis Gibson got to Goff. But Goff picked apart the Bears when he wanted to. He was 21 out of 29 for 255 and three tutties without a pick, and the Lions shoved it up the Bears' ass like I thought they would as a running game with the running game. Jamal Williams getting most of the work. He had 144 rushing yards. DeAndre Swift only carried the ball 11 times, but he was effective as well. Um, Jamison Williams only touched it once, and he took off for a 40-yard sprint. The Lions' running game had at least four splash plays yesterday. And I don't care which team you root for. When you see the running game executed well, if you appreciate that part of football, and if you don't, I don't know why you watch because it exhibits both strength, speed, finesse, and smarts. It's It's all of those things you got to appreciate when someone does it that well. The Bears haven't defended the run very well this year. They didn't yesterday. The Lions didn't have to throw the ball very often because they were doing whatever they wanted to up front. I thought the Bears would do that also. I can't remember ever seeing a 200-yard rushing game for a team collectively as unimpressive as... As what the Bears did yesterday, because it's all the big plays from fields. It's the long run of 60, and there was one other decent run. Other than that, the Bears got shut down. David Montgomery, very little activity yesterday. He only had six carries. Khalil Herbert, five carries for 31 yards, a long of 15 I expected them to be much more of a grindy team and I know the guy the score got away from them relatively quickly but you you still got to stick to what you do best and they didn't run the ball well they didn't pass the ball effectively yesterday I I am completely underwhelmed with with the balance of this offense there is a lot of optimism locally because Fields is so damn good. He's a video game. He's Devin Hester, only he gets the ball in his hands on every snap. Yeah, I get that. But man, he is going to get his ass killed if they don't do something soon about getting him protected. And when I say soon, I mean next year and getting some quality help around him. You can't sustain success in in the uh, that's giving the bears the benefit of the doubt saying they've had success offensively this year they really haven't they're three and freaking 13 for a reason losing nine ninth straight yesterday that's their ninth straight loss congratulations ted phillips here's your parting gift You've got to be way more diverse than they've shown a willingness to be. This can't be a part of of how they approach it. It can be a part of it, but it can't be the main entree. You cannot let Fields carry the ball 10, 12 times a game by design and expect to be good because he's going to get himself killed. He got racked yesterday. He got rocked several times, and I have no dog in the fight. I really don't, but I I find myself catching, holding my breath when this guy takes the abuse he's taking. You have got to protect him a lot better than that, and that doesn't just mean giving him time to throw and develop as a pocket passer. You have to protect his health by calling fewer runs for him. Chase Claypool. Wore a uniform yesterday for the Bears at Ford Field. He was targeted one time. He didn't have any catches. But it wasn't like he didn't make his presence felt. He was very upset on the Bears' sideline, and Fields called him out after the game. Chase Claypool has been a colossal disappointment. Since the Bears made that trade and they got they traded a second rounder for this dude who's got size and great speed. In 6 games, Claypool has 12 catches for 111 yards. I I I find it unconscionable. It, it's almost it's like that isn't believable that he has been on the field for 6 games and he has 12 catches for 111 yards. This is a highly regarded prospect coming out of Notre Dame. Steelers thought so, and then they gave up on him. And yesterday, he acts like a complete asshole on the sideline, and Fields said it very well afterward. We're all frustrated. Control yourself. Does anybody in a Bears uniform deserve a a, a dilly bar today? Anybody play that well? You? How about Trenton Gill, the punter? He punted seven times yesterday. Shall we get him a cherry dip? I like the cherry dilly bar. Underrated. Three of those punts inside the 20-yard line. Travis Gibson for his first sack since prior to Halloween. Maybe give him a dilly bar. And Justin Jones had a sack. Justin Jones, the undrafted unra- uh, rookie, who left with a concussion, has battled in recent weeks. That's the only strength on this football team is the secondary. That's the only place where they're any goddamn good. And they're challenged because they're inexperienced. But that's the only area you don't attack with new personnel in the offseason. How fast can they turn this thing around, man? You need a complete overhaul of your front seven. You might have two players, Jack Sanborn. Boy, did they miss him yesterday, didn't they? Man, you just uh, you can't expect to defend the run as well without Jack Sanborn, the undrafted kid out of Wisconsin from Lake Zurich, and maybe Gibson. But Gibson has been so inconsistent. I was expecting more out of him this year, honestly. He hasn't done it and uh god i think you got to you got to really attack that in free agency the bears have a ton of money you probably know that 122 million dollars in cap space for the bears you got to spend a lot of it on on your front seven you got to get a pass rusher you got to overpay for a guy if you have to because your window with fields is a short one and nobody wants to hear that but it's the reality of it you will not have in five years the same player you had this year. There's no way five years from now fields can play at that level uh if they continue to work him like this, he'll be the next r g three He'll have a knee blown out or he'll have consistent concussion issues you got to turn this around faster than you would a typical pocket-passing quarterback, and you've got to develop him more as a pocket passer if this is going to work out. So Ted Phillips has one date left uh, in his tenure as the Bears president, and then maybe Kevin Warren, who I think is an outstanding candidate, the commissioner of the Big Ten, will take over. Phillips' Bears have had seasons better than 500 only 7 times in his 24 years. They have won only 3 playoff games in those 24 years. Their last playoff victory will be hosting a hoisting a glass, hosting a glass, hoisting a glass to celebrate the 12th anniversary in a couple of weeks. That was when they beat the Seattle Seahawks 35 to 24 at Soldier Field. That was a Seahawks team that was 7-9, and won the NFC West, and was, from all of the metrics people who were charting this 12 years ago, the worst playoff team in NFL history, the worst team statistically to qualify for the playoffs. That's the last team the Bears beat in a playoff game. Three and six in the postseason for Ted Phillips. Um, he takes he takes charge in 99, and one of the first things he wanted to do, and it was necessary to do it, but the execution of it was terrible, was do something about Soldier Field. So they spent $660 million to renovate Soldier Field and turn it into the NFL's smallest stadium at 61-5. 61 61,500 seats. No roof, no retractable. You can't do a Final Four. You can't do a Stones concert in the winter. You just, you can't do it, Mike Singletary. That's the Ted Phillips legacy. Their their value is, I think I saw this before the season started, the, the fifth or sixth highest value of all NFL teams. He has been a success in business, but that's where it ends. Ted Phillips's regime. Be glad, Bears fans, it's over, and be glad Kevin Warren is one of the leading candidates because unlike Phillips, he is a people person. And some might say he's a politician, Mac. He's a handshaker and a baby kisser. You can't trust those guys. Well, maybe, but it's, it's about time the Bears had somebody at the highest level who knew how to deal with other human beings. Kevin checks that box. He also has NFL experience. Uh, he's worked for two teams in the division. He's worked for the Vikings and for the Lions. I think he's an excellent candidate. And he, late last week, has reported one of three finalists for the Bears presidency. Ted Phillips wraps up his Bears career, having lost 13 of his last 14 dates against the Green Bay Packers. His winning percentage in those 24 years is around 42%. That's not good. Show me another executive in sports who had tenure of 10 years or more and succeeded less than Ted Phillips. I doubt you can. Let me buzz around the NFL for a little bit here before you do whatever it is you do when you're not with me. The Packers over the Vikings convincingly yesterday, 41 to 17. Green Bay uh, with a chance to go postseasoning if they beat the Lions in week 18 at Lambeau Field. Just kicked the shit out of Minnesota from pillar to post. Uh, the Vikings fall to twelve and four, and Justin Jefferson was shut down hugely after a monster game against. the the Packers on opening day. Jefferson, just one catch on the day, and to ruin it, Jair Alexander, the Green Bay corner, has to tell everybody how goddamn great he is after the game. We saw what you did. You don't have to talk about it. Everyone is going to talk about it for you, Jair Alexander, but no, he got to tell everybody how great he is Act like you've been there. The Packers are to be applauded, whether you whether you hate it, it doesn't matter. To be eight and eight after that start, and it looked like they were going nowhere, anywhere close to the playoffs. But they have been rolling. They've won four straight, and I think they will beat the Lions and get into the playoffs. I think they're going to be nine and eight. I don't know how uh, Detroit defends that Green Bay team. They they step in the right direction for the Lions yesterday, but they were playing Chicago with offensive linemen who can't walk. They're just not good. I saw this Detroit team get crushed by Carolina in week 16. There's no way the Lions go to Lambeau Field and come out of there alive. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, congratulations. They are the NFC South champions. At eight and eight, their win over Carolina yesterday, thirty to twenty four, uh, clinches the uh, clinches the division, the worst division in football. I I I know Tom Brady's in it, and Brady was awesome yesterday. He passed for more than four hundred yards, and Mike Evans had three touchdowns with two hundred receiving yards. I think right on the button, nice effort for the Buccaneers, but where have you been? I do not have any faith in Tom Brady this postseason to advance, to advance one round. I I think they're a quick out, but that aside, Brady's career accomplishments continue to drop people's jaws. Yesterday, He passed for 300 or more yards for the 131st time in his career. That ties in with Drew Brees for the most. 131 300-yard games. Take a guess who holds the Bears record for most 300-yard games. Yeah, you knew it. It was Jay Cutler. How close is he to Brady? Well, Mac, it's not fair. I mean, he was only in a Bear uniform for nine years. He had 16, 16 300-yard games. The Bears in franchise history have 79 300-yard games. This is a franchise that's 103 years old, and they fall a little shy of Tom Brady's 131. The Bears have had 79 300-yard passing games. Congratulations to them. The Philadelphia Eagles are in trouble. Now, There's there have been a lot of overreactions lately I don't think this is one of them because when your running game is what makes you go offensively and you're missing one of the best tackles in the game in Lane Johnson, and the quarterback, Jalen Hurts, who's so much a part of their running game, isn't available to you, you still should be able to run the ball better than they did against the Saints, better than they did last week. They don't defend as well as they were earlier in the year. I mean, the Saints didn't kick their ass yesterday, but this is a Philly team that just gave up 40 to the Cowboys. They're not perfect. They should have been better than they were these last couple of weeks. I'm not going to throw it all on Minshew, the Garden Gardner Minshew effect. They're playing that game at home yesterday and sucked. They can do better than that. They should be better than that. Is Brian Dable of the Giants a coach of the year candidate in your mind? I heard that suggested today on Good Morning Football. Giants over the Colts, 38-10. The Giants are going post-seasoning. They're 9-6-1 right now. The Colts, on the other hand, have lost six straight And uh, limp into the offseason, likely looking for a new coach. Oh, it started so well for Jeff Saturday when he took that gig and everybody laughed and Bill Cower almost lit himself on fire. And then they went to Vegas and won. Not so good since then. So the Giants, easy winners yesterday. And Daniel Jones is going to hit the postseason feeling pretty good about himself. He's not been good only as a runner the second half of the season. They are trusting him to sling it around a little bit more. Now, yes, they're they're a run-first team. They are Jones and Barkley, not in that order in terms of how they approach it, but they're throwing the ball a lot better, and I think the Giants right now with the number six seed in the NFC uh, deserve all the praise they're getting. For those of you who want to throw rose petals at the feet of Brian Dable, have at it. He's earned it. My buddy Ron Rivera has not. The Commanders will not be going to the playoffs this year. Cleveland 24, Washington 10 yesterday. This Browns team was terrible in recent weeks going in. And with a chance to you know keep your playoff hopes alive at home, even though FedEx does not offer a very good home field advantage, the Commanders got nothing out of Carson Wentz. Ron's decision to go with Wentz, who posted his career-worst passer rating, instead of Taylor Heineke, backfires on him. After the game, he admitted he didn't know what was at stake. If they lost, they were out. Daniel Snyder is likely going to pull the plug on on Rivera, and uh, it's a real bitter pill to swallow when you lose that one at home to a lousy football team. And what the Browns have done well this year is run the ball with Nick Chubb. That's the strength of the Washington Commanders. They stop the run. They usually get after the passer pretty well. Yesterday, they got licked at home by the Cleveland Browns. I haven't used licked as a verb yet this year. Good for me. Seahawks very much alive, too. They're in the hunt at 8-8. Eight eight. They beat the Jets yesterday. What I tell you about these Jets a few months ago? Talk to me when uh, there's snow on the ground. No snow on the ground today. It's been 60 lately. Seahawks 23, Jets 6. The Jets have lost five in a row. Seahawks very much alive and with a chance to get to the playoffs. They got to beat the Rams in week 18 coming up. I think that's doable. Really good Sunday night game to finish it uh, last uh, last evening. Steelers over the Ravens, 16-13. to 13. The Ravens, without Lamar Jackson, just are not very potent offensively. They have to win in these taffy pulls. That's a typical AFC North Steelers-Ravens slugfest last night. Kenny Pickett winds up um, the winner. That's three straight for the Steelers, and what a great job Mike Tomlin has done with Pittsburgh. They're still in the hunt. They're a bubble team right now at 8-8, depending on how that shakes out with Pittsburgh and its final uh, skate, as they say in the world of hockey. Who do the Steelers have coming up? Come on, Mackie, find it. I don't have it in my notes sitting in front of me, but it'll be a divisional game. Everything is in the division this coming weekend. That's how it's been for the last several years, and that is what has made it exciting. Patriots over the Dolphins 23 to 21. Mac Jones, your table is ready. The Dolphins have lost 5 in a row. They're 8 and 8. They're now a bubble team. Miami Tua not available. Teddy Bridgewater, not too good yesterday. The Patriots did what they had to do to scratch their way back into this thing. They have the seven seed right now in the AFC. I didn't think that was going to happen this year. But sure enough, that's where Bill Belichick is. Do not do not sleep on Belichick or Brady or even Aaron Rodgers. Chiefs over the Broncos 27-24 yesterday. This one broke my back. I had the Chief Actually it was more of a play against the Broncos. I was fading Denver because I think they're really bad and they 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 scored 24 points yesterday. Chiefs won 4 in a row now with the win. They're 13 and 3. They're playing for a 1 seed, but they they slept walk through some of this game yesterday. Russell Wilson seems to bring out the worst in the Kansas city chiefs. Um, but the chiefs don't care about style points. They're three and three and have a real good shot at hosting the AFC title game for the fifth straight year. Man. I don't think about that. Five straight years. You're the number one seed. Yeah, well, if there was any debate before Andy Reid won his Super Bowl a few years ago, there shouldn't be any debate now. Even if they don't get the one seed, just getting there four times in a row is freaking crazy good. The 49ers punched out a Grumpy yesterday. 37-34 winners over the Raiders. The Niners have won nine in a row. Robbie Gold actually had a chance to win this thing earlier than when they did. Now, Great great game for Devontae Adams yesterday. I, I wonder why the Niners didn't get more pressure. They this kid who's coming in and now that Derek Carr can go do things somewhere else, Jared Stidham. He looked comfortable. And he Devontae Adams, great player. Maybe the Niners, not much to play for. I I, I don't know. They've already won the division with the Eagles, you know, getting kicked yesterday. You'd think they would have had a better game later in the day, knowing it is not beyond the realm of possibility that they could get that one seed, but uh, not happening. Eagles, by the way, huge favorites over the Giants in week 18. They're laying 14. The Jacksonville Jaguars won their fourth straight Sunday. Easy winners over Lovey and the Texans 31 to 3 the Jaguars 8 and 8 have the 4 seed right now in the AFC that doesn't mean they have the fourth best record. They are the four seed. The Chargers actually have a better record, but uh, they seed them based on divisional winners, as you probably know. Chargers over the Rams, 31-10 to 10 was the final in that one. Brandon Staley's crew has been putting it together pretty consistently lately. You can say what you want about the Rams. They've been running the ball better for what it's worth in recent weeks. Um four straight for the Chargers as I mentioned they have the five seed fourth best record in the AFC and in a game that was watched by nobody outside of fantasy football owners still playing in leagues that go 17-18 weeks or gamblers or family members uh, it was Atlanta 20 and the Arizona Cardinals 19 that's the sixth consecutive loss for the Arizona Cardinals and Cliff Kingsbury very likely to be um, cleaning out his office in the weeks ahead. I don't know how if you're Arizona you bring him back. I, I think he's only got a year left on his deal. You 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 eat that. You, you've got no choice but to eat that. The Bears for some strange reason are only getting a little bit. They're only getting a point at home against the Vikings this week. I, I don't know how they started around here. I don't know what it opened at, if there was a wild swing, but man, if I can get the Vikings today at minus one, I am not waiting any longer. After I do closing credits, I'm going to punch up my Bet Rivers account and I'll say, yeah. Give me the Minnesota Vikings to send Ted Phillips into the good night with a record of 3-14. and 14. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate that. I appreciate my producer, Sam Michael, the Chiefs fan, for helping me along the way, and Adam Delavitt, Baby Capone at Bet Rivers. Thank you. I'll be back again Thursday to preview the 18th and final week of the NFL. Have a great week. Happy New Year. I'm Danny Mack, and for now, I'm Tail Lights. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bett Rivers Network.